Final section of chapter 2, chapter 2, 20 through 26. Purity be a, a useful vessel. So we've seen the prescription be devoted to discipleship. Persist, remember Jesus Christ, present, rightly handle the word, and now purity be a useful vessel. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Paul uses, again, another imagery here of, of a house. In a great house, he says. Uh, this great house is going to be speaking of the church. He's going to use this same word in this first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He speaks of the, the household of God, which is the church. I think same imagery here. And there are vessels in the house verse 20, the great house. In every house, there are various sorts of vessels. There are some for honorable use. They are made of gold and silver, he says here. These are things like that you might use for food or for wine or for, for your guests, right? You have the good, the good plates that you, you pull out for them, if you will. But then there's also vessels in a house that are used for dishonorable things. He would equate this with wood and, and clay. Think toilets, garbage cans, things for waste, okay? So, the, the metaphor here is to describe the landscape of, of, of ministry, um, that with, within the community of God, there's going to be vessels that are going to be uh, honorable and those that are going to be dishonorable. Um, in ancient Israel, you had the, the remnant and you had the rebels. In the church community today, they're, they're going to be the same. There's going to be honorable, dishonorable vessels. There's going to be faithful vessels, and there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be the wheat, Jesus would say, and then there's the tares. The exhortation here is for, to Timothy to make sure that your vessel remains clean so that it's, it can be used in an honorable way. Don't, don't be corrupted by the, the deceitful ways of, of darkness see this uh, promise here, verse 21, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. He's saying, and I, I think the initial, as it were, cleansing yourself from what is dishonorable comes through conversion. And then there's to be an ongoing upkeep of resisting going back to the ways of the world and dishonorable, sinful indulgences to remain pure, as it were, that you might be useful to the Lord. 
Cleanse your vessel is what he's saying to, to Timothy here. That you might be useful to the master of the house. That should be everyone's desire. I want to be useful to the Lord. I want Him to be able to use me. I want to be set apart to the Lord. I want to be useful to the Master's service. I want to be poised to do what He, what he pleases. So how do we cleanse ourselves then? Well, verse 22. Flee and pursue. Flee and pursue. These are the two um, exhortations. Flee from some stuff and pursue some stuff. I think it's important to notice here that holiness, holiness does not just happen. Holiness will not just happen. It, it takes conscious, intentional effort to rely upon the grace of God. Flee, he says. The, the, the word for flee there is used of escaping a wolf, uh, of escaping a sinking uh, ship, of, of running away from somebody who has a sword. There's a danger that God's servants must flee from. He says that danger is youthful passions, desires, attitudes, impulses that characterize young men and women, spiritually immature saints. He says you've got to flee from these youthful passions. Now, I will say that um, all seasons of life have particular temptations. It's been very interesting for me to watch my stage of life as it changes, how my temptations start to change a little bit. I just, it's a weird thing. Um, I'm getting old, I guess. I don't know what's happening. But there's new temptations that I just never, I never thought about being tempted with money to... To, to acquire things so I have security. And like, you can just see people my age, they just lose their minds and go buy like a Ferrari or something, you know? So I just buy all different colors of New Balance shoes. So I have like six different, I told Karen, I was like, if this is my midlife crisis, I hope it's, I can deal with this. But, um, but, but here particularly, you've got to be aware of the temptations that are always pulling. I've got, I've got six here that I'll mention. Uh, they don't come straight out of the text. This is more from observation. Um, six temptations of youthful passions that might tempt us toward the sinfulness that would make us not as useful to the Lord. One would be impatience. Impatience. The youthful tend to be impatient. Zeal is good, but zeal without restraint is dangerous. Right? You, you run you run over people rather than walk with them. Pastors in particularly can be tempted to, to leave too quickly if things aren't going their way because they're zealous. They're like, these people don't get it. I'm going to go to a place where I can really do God's ministry. He's like, Timothy, don't be like that. Don't fall into impatience. The Lord's been very patient with you. Flee from impatience. Which, by the way, I think for all of you, I would encourage you to think, how does how does how are you tempted toward impatience in your discipling relationships? And how might that hinder usefulness in them? We can be tempted to give up on people too quickly sometimes. A second thing is uh, ignorant debates. These all start with I, by the way. You're welcome. Um, ignorant debates. So we have impatience. Secondly, ignorant debates. Uh, you might call this the seminary flex. 
where, you know, you come into a situation and there's a discussion and you just start wanting to be like Hebrew word, Greek words, or like whatever it is. You're like, oh, there's a chiasm. You just want to like, you just, and then you just want to start getting into debates about stuff. The, the quarrelsomeness that he talked about here, where novelty becomes what you're, you're about. This goes with the verse 24, the, the quarrelsomeness. You love to debate. You, you love to, to blog about the stuff that, that nobody else is thinking about or that you find some little thing and you make that the hot take and you call everybody else a bunch of losers who doesn't get it. It's, again, Twitter. It's, 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 it's the, the ignorant debating. He says, verse 23, this, this breeds something. This, this breeds quarrels. The word breeds, it's, it's for, for flea infestation. He's like, you don't want your whole ministry to be a flea infestation where you're just, all you're ever doing is fighting with people about stuff and calling out people and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Just constantly dunking on people on social media. Like, don't be that person. The sin of quarrelsomeness, this intense, bitter fighting, is, it is particularly popular and contagious. So be really careful to not get caught up in it, Right? Where you, you feel the need to always be the one who's correcting everybody, exposing everybody. Just don't be that person. Paul would say that is youthful passion. It's really dangerous. Oftentimes attributed to a desire to be seen, which we'll do another one in, the, in a second. Number three, so impatience, ignorant debate. Number three, insensitive, to be insensitive. Um. Maybe you're assuming that people ought to be serving them. Um, to, not, to not be thoughtful of other people. Youthful, have you ever just been around a bunch of kids who just like are oblivious to the fact there's other humans on the planet? <laughs> well, people can be like that in ministry too. Where they're just kind of oblivious of how what they're saying is landing on other people. They don't read the room well. That's a mark of youthful passion, which is very self-centered and, and limited in depth perception. So that's why if you're particularly, you want to have older, wiser, spiritually mature people around you to be able to pull you aside and be like, so a lot of good stuff there, but you're an idiot and you need to stop acting like an idiot. <laughs> and here's how you're doing this, okay? Um, I've had so many good people in my life like that and I'm so thankful. I just... Didn't think about it. Let me give you an example. I may have used this here. Um, I've already mentioned Mormons once, but I'll do it one more time. Um, I was probably a believer three years, super zealous. And I was in my, let's talk to Mormons about the gospel uh, thing. And I did this, this workshop on how to share the gospel with Mormons. And the whole thing, the room was, room was full and it was going and I was and I, I started doing the, like, I started talking about the guys and be like, yeah, and they'll show up on their bikes and they got their little uniforms on. And I started just making fun of the, what they were wearing and kind of their badges and all this kind of stuff. And, and the people in the room were laughing. So I just immaturely just kept going with it. Um, well, afterwards, um, a couple, couple came up and uh, they said, hey, want to thank you. They introduced themselves, want to say thank you. They were an older couple. 
And so we want to say thank you so much. There's some really, really good stuff that we learned about sharing the gospel with Mormons today. This, there's some really good, they were very encouraging. And they said, but if I can be honest with you, I'm so glad I didn't bring any Mormon friends with me. We actually have some people that we really love a lot, and I'm afraid if they would have come and heard you, that they would have hated the Jesus that we all know because of the way you made fun of them. Man, I needed to hear that. Because in my immaturity, I was just trying to get a laugh and just I was using people as a prop rather than recognizing the whole reason we're doing the seminar is because there's people who are deceived and who are on their way to an eternal hell. And there was no sobriety. I just, I missed it. But those people helped me. Insensitivity to, to what's going on is another youthful passion you need to be careful about. Another one is uh, insecurity. So there's a zeal for being thought well of, right? The other side of that is insecurity, where you're, you're easily offended, where you're, you're touchy, you're unapproachable, you're unable to receive correction or honest accountability because what you're doing is you're guarding your image. That sort of insecurity that doesn't just rest in, Jesus loves me, I'm secure in Him, I'm happy to hear whatever you have to say to me. I desire to grow. And even if I don't fully agree with it, I'll be able to hear something that you're going to say that's going to be true and it's going to be helpful to me. You've got to be careful about that that insecure thing that's going to try and prove itself, which is the fifth one, image promotion. There is such a poisonous gas in our our American evangelicalism stuff where this platform building, like the whole thing is, is, is just, it's dangerous. You desire people to think well of you, where you're constantly, the way I, the way I, call, it, I call it photobombing Jesus, where you're, you know, Jesus is here, he's supposed to get all the glory, and then you're like, and I was here, <laughs> and I was the one who said it, and you're like, you want to be in the picture, you know, you're photobombing Jesus. Like, don't do that. Be John the Baptist. I must decrease so that he can increase. And just be happy to just fade, fade to black and let, let him be seen primarily. Be free to point out how others do well rather than always trying to fish for compliments and always trying to, like that's just insecurity and image promotion and like just do the best you can, love Jesus, give him, give him Jesus, have some people around you trust you who can give you some helpful feedback and then let Jesus be famous and you just be faithful. Like Paul's telling Timothy here, be careful of these youthful passions. And then finally, immorality, which is what you might have first thought of when you heard youthful passions. So impatience, ignorant debates, insensitivity, insecurity, image promotion, and then immorality. Um, there's a real temptation for those in, who are young to, to just give in to sin and to be exclusive with it. And this is not for young people only, but there is a unique sort of uh, danger for, for young pastors in particular with improper relationships or um, yeah, pornography or whatever the immorality may look like, drunkenness, um, whatever it may be. Um, 
and you have to be on guard. So, so whatever it looks like for you, one of the things that's important to understand is that Satan, Satan has schemes against all of us, and he knows you better than you know you probably, but you want to you study how the temptations are coming and be aware of those so that you can flee from them. Flee from it. Remember that sin is imperialistic. It desires to steal and to consume you. This is why he says, flee from it, Timothy. But don't just flee from it, because holiness isn't just what you don't do, but it's also what you pursue. So flee from sin, but also flee to the Savior. Run from what displeases God, but run toward what pleases Him. Rather, pursue. So rather than pursue immorality, pursue righteous living. Rather than indulge in ignorant debates, pursue faithfulness in the clear things. Rather than be impatient, impatient, pursue a love that is willing to wait on others. Rather than quarrel with people, be pastoral. Be like Onesimus. Not Onesimus. Who was the guy in the first chapter? Onesimus was another guy who was faithful. Was it Onesimus? It was. It was Onesimus. There we go. Be like Onesimus, right? No. Onesiphorus. Onesimus was another dude. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Be like Onesiphorus, right, who, who pursues rather than being impatient. He's, he's pursuing Paul, seeks him out. Rather than be a gospel diva who expects others to cater to you, have the posture of a servant and be willing to suffer. And do this with hopefulness. Serve in hope, verse 25. God may perhaps... And this is what you want. You want to be a vessel that's able to be used so that you can see this. Perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. Teach patiently endure evil. Correct opponents with gentleness. Because God can use that. He uses that to help deliver people. And this right here, verses 25 and 26, this is what Christians sign up for. We desire to see people who are ensnared in deceit to be liberated. That for people who believe error to be liberated from the ensnarement and the delusion that they might see Jesus. And you notice who's behind it all here in verse 26? The devil is ensnaring people, capturing them to do his will. Over here you have Satan, who is kind of the, he is the instigator of all evil. He's going to be the one who's behind the false teachers, who's tempting them to, to come with lies about God, to draw people away so that they get ensnared so that they won't see God and know God and love God and enjoy God. And Paul says, Timothy, don't be about that. Don't get caught up in the quarrelsomeness and the worldly, fleshly, like I'm going to get them and like, or I want to be somebody or whatever, however it comes. Flee from that. Flee to gentleness and patience and tenderness and kindness with people. Minister God's word to them lovingly, enduringly, because God might set some people free from their sin. And help them to see Jesus and make it home to be able to share in the glory, Timothy, that we're running after. 
And listen, when you go this way, there's going to be suffering along that path, but it's worth it. Keep looking to Him. Keep looking to Him. Now, Lord willing, tomorrow we'll get into chapter 3 and 4 where he's going to call Timothy to have courage. And we're going to see some more about these false teachers. We're going to get a lot more about them tomorrow. But for now, I'd like to see if anybody has any final comments, questions, insights, or applications. Or if you want to get wild, prophecies um, to close out the evening on anything that we've seen so far in chapters 1 and 2. Joey again. Um, Still Joey. For the fleeing youthful passions, would you equate that just mainly to age or also to people who are new in the faith who are also older in age? Yeah, I think it's immaturity generally, uh, spiritual immaturity, and sometimes Timothy was a young dude evidently, um, and because of that, he probably had, I mean, he was, yeah, he had some of the just lack of, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't old older yet to where he had leveled out a little bit, so he was still, he had the youthful passions. But I think it can also be true for, for someone who's maybe a little bit older but is, is new to the Lord, that's going to be there too. So it could be both. But I think for Timothy, it was, it was, it was youthfulness. So, yeah. Hey, Zach again. I, uh, I just wanted to go back to what you said near the beginning of chapter 2 because I just love that section. Mm-hmm. Um, and just what you were talking about, how Christ supplies all the strength we need for ministry, and we have hope of reward in eternity with him, and that focus on the last day motivates us like a soldier, like an athlete, like a farmer, as we remember Jesus Christ. And I think as you were, you know, expositing that again, I just got struck by that reality that when we actually look at the riches that we have in Christ, all that we shall enjoy on the other side of eternity and all that we have access to right now in him. Like when we are possessed by that, that like like totally washes away every fear of anything we could face right now. That like every suffering right now really is worth it to walk with King Jesus and to be with him forever. And it just truly is. And I think like, just like, you know, I'm newly married and I'm totally like focused on all these new worldly things about having a home and having stuff. And I think if Christ were like more so like in the focus, like that last day in the focus all the time, then like those sorts of like cares and concerns, even like, you know, like, and there are valid things too, but like they would all fall into the right priority into the right place. And I think that's, that's true when we look at Christ that way. So yeah, I think there's a liberty to, to enjoy good things in life properly, you know? And, um, but yeah, I think we would keep them in order. And there's always going to be a, a danger for it to get out of whack, for sure. Yeah, that's good. Praise God. Any other final comment, question, insight, application? Yeah. Okay. Um, still Shannon. Um, so my, I have a question, kind of with what Zach is saying, keeping that in mind. So, and I'm trying to think through the question as I'm talking, which is what I usually do. So sorry. Um, so in chapter one, when he says, "As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy," 
And then the whole chapter one and chapter two, it talks about like being strengthened by the graces in Christ Jesus and fixing our eyes in eternal glory and letting the future, the last day, fuel today. So can you just talk about how we are supposed to, I guess, be thankful for the people that the Lord has in our lives? And how does that kind of coincide with if we just are fixing our mind on the last day and letting that feel today, like how do we enjoy today and what the Lord's provided today? Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. I think, I think it imports meaning into every moment. So like right now, we can be, I can be thankful that we've had you know, a few hours together to be in God's Word, unhurried, to be able to, to soak in it and enjoy it, and we can be thankful for that. And during the breaks, we can walk out there and get cookies and be thankful that we have discernment to be able to not get raisin cookies, but get to get chocolate chip cookies, as, as you should. Um, so, <laughs> uh, I think the Lord, the Lord, I think we need to remember that God is not, that all happiness is not there. Ultimate happiness is there, but He's created a world filled with wonders. Everything He made is good. Now, it's tainted by the fall, but it's not tainted to where it's unrecognizable. And I think the Lord would call us to enjoy every moment. Like Jesus says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow be, you know, has enough troubles. Today, look at the birds, he says. Look at some flowers. T- take some lessons from those. Do that with a friend. Be like, man, the bird, that bird, the Lord took care of the bird. What are some ways that the Lord's taking care of us? Let's remember. What are some ways we need him to do it tomorrow? Let's talk about it. Let's pray. And I think it just, it, it sets everything at ease. I think with Paul, like he's super chill for about to get his head cut off. And that helps him to be able to want every moment. Like at the end, he's going to be like, Timothy, come. I want, I want you to be here with me. He wants time with him. At the end of his life, he wants God's word, God's people, and, and he just wants to be around them. And I think in, I, I think the meaningfulness of all that, it, it moves us to trust, to be able to risk all things, but it also imports now a lot of meaning to not be afraid of what people think about us. Like, that's one of the most joy-stealing things that happens is our fear of man and just being worried what everybody thinks about us. If you're just free to just love people and be in the moment with them, you're going to be a blessing to others and you'll, you'll receive a blessing. So I think it gives a peace and it gives a joy and it gives a hopefulness. Good question. Anything else? Y'all have been wonderful. I'm going to pray for us. Then, Lord willing, I'll see you at 8.30 in the morning. I think there's bagels coming from Panera. I don't know if there's anything else coming from Panera, but there we go. So, Lord willing, I'll see you then. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would help us to have eternal eyes and to not be deceived by the many temptations that abound. Lord, we confess that we are fickle and frail and fearful, sometimes doubting. But Lord, we thank you that your grace is sufficient for all these things and that you are faithless. Uh, You are not faithless. When we are faithless, you remain faithful. We thank you that you will not deny yourself, but that you will prove yourself to be true and right and good. And Lord, we thank you that whatever suffering would happen in this life, that it's worth it um, because of the glory that's to be revealed. 
And we pray you'd hasten that day. But between now and then, would you help us to draw strength from it that we might labor um, the gospel faithfully. We pray in the name of Christ.